The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Your host is Rochelle McLaughlin. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present. And learn to live your life's infinite potential. Now, here's your host, Rochelle McLaughlin. Welcome, everyone, to the launch of the Emergence Network's Precipice Series here on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. The planting of the seed for this incredible series started on an extraordinary blog that I follow closely that you can find at Fearless Parent. It was at fearlessparent.org that I was introduced to BioEcomolafe's pioneering work and thereby following the thread to a short but striking statement that beautifully encompasses Bio's message where he says, the times are urgent, let us slow down. And upon reading this statement, I knew that I needed to have Bio on the show for a three-part series because it sometimes seems the case that in our activism community, we want to rush in and try to change a situation without really seeing the full spectrum and potential consequences of our well-meaning actions. And at the same time, within the mindfulness and spiritual communities, it sometimes seems that we're doing our own work but that it often stops there and we need our mystics and our yogis really engaged in the urgency of our current situation. And we actually need us all coming to the table together. And I can think of no other better way to use the platform of Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio to hold the space for such gatherings. And we are all very fortunate to have the extraordinary visionary and a curator of the Emergence Network, Annie Levin, hosting this amazing series. Annie states that these days find us standing at the edge of a cliff, ecologically, socially, economically, and existentially. It's a precarious place to be. The risk of falling is real. But perhaps standing at the edge might also call forth something new. And so throughout this series over the coming weeks and months, we will be wondering out loud together. So without further ado, allow me to introduce you to Precipice's host, Annie Levin. Annie is an attorney and a birth doula living in Brooklyn, New York. She has worked in the fields of community organizing, conflict resolution, childbirth education, and immigration advocacy, serving in settings ranging from schools to hospitals to Capitol Hill. In 2012, Annie spent four months traveling in the United States in search of a path forward in these challenging times, and she has been following the threads from that journey ever since. And she currently serves as a curator for the Emergence Network, a collective that poses the question, what if the way we respond to the crisis is part of the crisis? She is a graduate of Harvard Law School and has been a scholar at the Orphan Wisdom School since 2013. 
Thank you so much, Annie, for being here with us on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio and for weaving this incredible series together for us all. Thank you so much, Rochelle, for having me and for creating a place for Precipice to arrive. Annie, for those of our listeners that may not know you yet, can you share a bit about your journey that led you to being a curator of the Emergence Network and and hosting this Precipice series? Sure, absolutely. Um, Sometimes I wonder how I got here. (laughs) Uh, I think... Lately, as I think about that, music keeps showing up. I Each instrument is tuned a particular way. And if you have two instruments in a room and a tone is struck on one that resonates with another, that other instrument will play that note as well. And I think each of us is, is tuned to a particular resonance, particular tones, and, and when those tones are struck somewhere else, it calls forth a certain attention in us or draws us in a particular direction. For me, my particular tuning had me attending to a few different things. One, suffering, um, and another, imbalance or dissonance, so when one thing is happening on the surface and another is happening beneath the surface, that calls forth some particular notice or attention in me. And and what that meant for the directions that I was led is that I was pulled towards social justice work and service work. So as a young adult, I went to Chicago and did an AmeriCorps program and was doing literacy tutoring and community organizing. And from there, I moved to doing mediation for a few years, working with people in various sorts of conflicts. And from there, I moved into doing doula work, which is attending births. And I, for a few years, was doing that mostly with teen moms. And throughout all of that time, I was pulled in each of those directions, I think, by that attunement to suffering and to imbalance or dissonance. Um, And maybe as well, the birth work, there's maybe a third thread, which is some inclination towards birth and death, a deep sense that how we come in and how we depart, that those things matter. So I did that work for a while, but that insistent song that I have that attunement to of suffering, of dissonance, there was something beyond the edges of the work that I had done up to that point that was asking for attention. And, and so at that point, I decided to go to law school because I thought, well, maybe what's missing from this picture is I need more tools or different tools. And maybe I need tools that allow me to take a step back and work more at the level of systems. And so I went to law school and got that set of tools. And I'm really thankful to have those tools. And then I went and worked as an attorney for a few years representing immigrant children. And throughout all of that time, there was still 
some song <laughs> beyond the edges of everything that I was doing that was calling for attention. And at some point it, it got loud enough or insistent enough that I knew that I needed to go even further beyond what I knew to figure out what it was asking. Mm. So, um, so that was that point in 2012 when I left my then full-time law job and spent four months traveling. And there were other things that happened before that, but that was a moment of feeling really pulled to go beyond the edges of what I had known and to try to understand more deeply what was happening. It's this sense that there was something that was running beneath everything or running through everything that I needed to understand better to really be able to see where we are right now in the world and what that means for us and what that asks of us. So, so I traveled and, and in that period of time, the four months and the, the months before and after, um, I was meeting people. I went to places I had never been. I was meeting people who were living in ways that were new to me and unfamiliar. I went to a women's Congress for future generations in Moab, Utah, where people gathered to try to imagine a way forward that thought not just of the next 10 years, but the next 10,000. And I visited organic farms that were doing permaculture and growing food in ways that I had never known about. And I read a lot of books by a lot of thinkers who were looking at economics and social structures and history and, and all of these things and how they came together to create where we are now. Um, and and that period of time expanded my, my understanding in, in two ways. So one is that it expanded my understanding of the crises that we're in, mm. the historical and cultural and linguistic and social structures and economic structures and, and how those all have come together in a way that that things are as challenging and really dire as they are right now. And also this expanded exposure to other ways of thinking or seeing or being than I had known up until that point. Mm. And some of them were the kinds of things that come when you go way off the beaten path, like I mentioned, you know, going to the Women's Congress or times that I went and camped in the desert for long periods of time. But mm-hmm. some of them were also very simple, like a time that I went to Maine and I stayed with a couple who were strangers before I arrived at their home. And they welcomed me with a, a degree and a quality of hospitality that I had never experienced up to that point in my life. And and suddenly so much about what I believed and how I moved through the world became visible to me in a way that hadn't been before by virtue of their way of welcoming me so differently than I expected. And it also meant that something else was possible that I had never known was possible up to that point. Mm. And and since that time, it's been a process of ongoing study and learning 
while also living day to day in our our culture as it is and and that can be it can be overwhelming once you start to see all of these systems and the ways that they interact and the and the level of crisis the degree to which things really are on the brink ecologically and otherwise it can be really overwhelming and it's hard to hold it alone and and i think that's where the Emergence Network comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2014, I met Bio in person. We had been corresponding before that. And we met at a conference here in New York. And almost immediately, there was this shared sense that the habitual or conditioned responses to the crisis that might be part of the crisis, that if we move forward in all the same ways that we're used to moving forward, we're likely to recreate the very things that we're trying to do differently. Mm-hmm. And and so with, with a few others, we joined together to form the Emergence Network in the hopes of creating spaces where we might explore possibilities for moving differently. Mm-hmm. Out. And that's how I come to be here <laughs> mm, it's so um so articulate and so clear how you how you shared that can you share a bit about your your vision or your what you envisioned for the precipice series sure as i just was saying if we move solely from what we already know we're likely to end up with more of the same Mm-hmm. And the magnitude of the crises before us demands something more of us than moving out of habit and what we already know. Mm-hmm. That maybe there needs to be some willingness and some dedication and some deep listening that outstrips competence mm-hmm. or outstrips already knowing how to do it before we start. Mm-hmm. And a story. <laughs> I I have an experience of being on a precipice. I went hiking in Zion National Park several years ago, and I did the Angels Landing hike. And towards the end of that hike, there is a 15-foot sheer drop on both sides of the path. Mm. And I was utterly overwhelmed and undone by that drop I dropped Mm -hmm. to my knees and then had to drop to my belly my body would not take another step at that point and I had to stay there for quite a long time before I was able to even sit up and stay at that edge Mm -hmm. Uh, and that day I didn't ultimately I didn't do that last quarter mile of the hike (laughs) I sat and I stayed at at that edge that was the Mm -hmm. as far as I could go that day and, and there's certain quality of attention called forth by that. It, it was a full body event. It was not an intellectual experience. <laughs> and, and communication got very focused. There was not a lot of small talk happening at that moment. Mm-hmm. And we were not on autopilot or working from habit. There's this really keen attention and presence 
Um, and every move needed to be very intentional up there. And I, I think those are some of the qualities that I'm hoping to bring forth in this show. I don't know if it's possible to do that on the radio as opposed mm-hmm. to on a cliff with a 1,500-foot sheer drop. <laughs> but, but truly, we're on that cliff. And so the vision for this show is that both the content and the quality of presence will stand at that edge and stretch us outside of what is most comfortable. And that there's some possibility that courage might be called forth from standing in that place. It's not a given. It's entirely possible to get to that edge and curl up into a ball and cover your face and call for reinforcements and have somebody carry you back down. Mm-hmm. But there is the possibility that it calls forth a presence and a courage and a willingness that might allow us to move forward into this set of situations before us that we don't necessarily yet know how to address. Mm. You know, in so much of our work in practicing mindfulness invites us to our own individual edges and asks us to articulate what we're learning about ourselves as we come to these places. And it feels as though these kinds of practices are really powerful on an individual level, as I have experienced my own personal transformation with the practice and also um, as bio uses this term, it's a beautiful term, witnessing. Um, but I've had the you know opportunity to with witness the same transformation with hundreds of others of people. And it seems that the practice of stepping outside our own comfort zone, coming to our own personal edges is is so significant. And maybe a place to start for like our listeners that are really that are listening right now. Um, and like so how do we how do we maybe embody this? Would you say that this is so, like coming um, into our own personal edges is, is significant and it's a, maybe a one place to begin? I, I agree that it's a place to begin and I think it's not where to stop mm-hmm. in, in that we need... We likely need to move past what's comfortable and move past what we already know Mm -hmm. to be of service to this time, but that fundamentally that that whatever that work is that might be described as personal work Mm -hmm. might be in service to something that's not personal. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yes, um, maybe we can continue that conversation, Annie, when we come on the other side of this um, break. But before we go, I'd like to share an excerpt from the essay called Limitations Feast by Annie Levin, where Annie says, like a spider web, invisible to our eyes until it catches the sun, the ability to see deeply the places upon which we stand removes the blinders of limit- limitless and exposes the great web into which we are woven. In the place we find ourselves, life has a particular 
limit-bound way of being herself. And by learning the languages of a place, we may begin to see the unseeable, the story that reaches beyond our view. These words are from my guest today and host of Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio's Precipice series, Annie Levin. You can find out more about the Precipice series at emergencenetwork.org and on experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. And you can follow Annie Levin on Facebook. And we will be right back after these messages. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is a clinician of mind body medicine, lifestyle change, and self healing. She is a life mentor, author, and publisher of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. You can reach Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Annie Levin. Annie currently serves as a curator for the Emergence Network, which is a growing alliance of activists, initiatives, communities, movements, and people who recognize that today's crises, climate change, poverty, economic inequality, etc., are not discrete problems with pre-existing features and as such do not have final resolutions. The Emergence Network recognizes that the ecological, financial, political, and spiritual crises we face today are intra-connected, that we cannot respond to one without drawing upon the others and that the way we respond to these crises is a part of the crises. The objective of the Emergence Network is to reimagine activism, dancing with confounding questions and experimenting with new practices that might entangle our work more deeply with one another and with the world. You can find out more about the Emergence Network at emergencenetwork.org and you can find out also more about um, Annie Levin's Precipice series here on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, also at at emergencenetwork.org and on experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. So welcome back, Annie. Uh, In your Limitations Feast essay, you make the statement, 
If we are ever to find our way back to the rich story of our belonging, we must start from the poverty of where we are. Can you speak to this? Because I appreciate how you're naming this feeling of displacement and aloneness that so many of us are experiencing in modern society today. And I think there's so much healing to be done when we can first acknowledge this place and even maybe give ourselves the space to grieve. Can you speak to this? Definitely. First, it's a huge topic. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We could talk for hours and hours and hours and barely scratch the surface. Yes. Um, And my understanding of this is based here in North America where I grew up. Mm -hmm. So what I am going to describe is not necessarily true in other places. It may not even be true in certain places in North America. Mm -hmm. But this is the... this is where I stand and what my eyes have seen and what I have learned. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing is that any capacity that I have at all to talk about this, to see these things, I owe to people who have done enormous labor and heavy lifting to begin to trace these things and see them and make Mm -hmm. them visible. And for me, there's a few people I want to mention who have done that. So Charles Eisenstein and Mm -hmm. Joanna Macy and Stephen Jenkinson, Mm -hmm. all three of those people, their enormous body of work between the three of them and all that they have done to make these things visible and knowable have had a huge impact in my capacity to see them and, mm-hmm. and others as well. So, so w- we live in a very materially rich place, mm-hmm. but there's symptoms all around us of a lot of dis-ease. There's epidemic loneliness, epidemic use of pharmaceuticals, diet-related illness. We don't know our neighbors. It goes on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And there are certain underlying characteristics of the culture that, broadly speaking, once we can see them, it's a bit easier to understand what's happening. Although knowing where these came from is a whole other level of exploration. But, but some of these characteristics are that we have a distance from that which keeps us alive or sustains us, mm-hmm. food, water, air, shelter, clothing. We, our, our relationship with these things is not necessarily a lived relationship. Mm-hmm. Second, we are primarily in a consumption rather than production relationship. Most of the time we're on the receiving end of what comes to us rather than being in some partnership of creation. Uh It's also a hyper-individualistic culture, so obsessed with self-sufficiency and the self as the primary unit. Uh And, And lastly, we have a very collapsed relationship to time. Our understanding of time is, is really limited Uh to, to our lifetime. 
and and often to this 45 seconds. <laughs> so so to give an example of how this shows up, it you can pretty much take any example and see how it shows up. I, even today I was riding the subway and I saw an advertisement that was for lingerie and it said forget V-Day it's about me day <laughs> and and truly all four of the things I just mentioned show up there <laughs> if uh-huh. you if you go poking around for them uh-huh. but but a story that I can flesh out a bit more than that is last month I live in an apartment building in Brooklyn and last month there was a massive leak and we had to turn the water off in the building so that they could fix it with before it got worse. And all of a sudden, when we turned on the tap, no water came out. And so first, when in figuring out what to do about this, the, the first impulse was to buy water. Oh, we go to the store and buy it, right? So that consumption uh-huh. stance shows up. Uh-huh. Then the self-sufficiency showed up in the fact that it took me well over an hour for it to even occur to me that everyone else on my block still had water and I could ask my neighbors for help. Mm. These are neighbors I know. These are neighbors I share meals with. These are neighbors I even gather with to talk about the very things that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And it took me more than an hour for it even to occur to me to reach out to them for help because I'm so addled by this <laughs> self-sufficiency focus uh-huh. like oh I guess we got to figure it out the three of us who live here there's <laughs> no other way there's no other possible way to do this uh-huh. and then so those are the consumption and the self-sufficiency pieces then the the distance from that which sustains us so you know, everything, there, Standing Rock is still a very active place. There's still uh-huh. a massive fight uh-huh. out there. And Water is Life is the is the primary message coming, coming from there. Uh-huh. And I realized the degree to which, w- when this happened in our apartment, I agreed, I, I realized the degree to which that was still conceptual for me. That when clean water is always available and dirty water goes to this magical place called Away, I don't have a, a bodily lived understanding that my life depends on this. Uh-huh. And as soon as it was gone, that awareness started to emerge. Uh-huh. And, and, and spending a day or so with very limited water, that awareness really started to dawn. And, and what's amazing is that it's, this is not the first time that I had been in a situation with limited water. So it's, it's not as though I couldn't have known how precious water is. Uh-huh. But when day-to-day life gives us no lived relationship and no ongoing relationship, it's so hard to remember. So it's not to say, oh, we're terrible people. Uh-huh. How, could, how could we? It's one of the things that Stephen Jenkinson talks about is that in an intact culture, it's understood that it's a characteristic of being human to forget sometimes how to be one. Mm-hmm. And that ritual in an intact culture, one of its purposes is to be a form of choreographed remembering. 
mm. that that in order to know these things deeply, it's not that we know them once and that's it. It's an ongoing living. It's that kind of knowing. Mm-hmm. And so this this moment of not having water had me really realize that's just one dimension of my distance from that which keeps me alive. And mm-hmm. and in telling the story, I'm not. It's not about romanticizing what uh, not having access to clean water mm-hmm. at all, because that's very difficult. And many many people on this planet are in that situation. It's not about saying that it shouldn't be the way that it is, but it is saying that there's a co- real consequence to not having that lived relationship. And certainly there's consequence for people, but what's the consequence for water? And what's the consequence for all of the beings and all of the forms of life who depend on water? And, mm-hmm. and that's where that fourth dimension comes in of that collapsed relationship to time. If, if my understanding of time only encapsulates today, or it only encapsulates even just my lifetime. What does that mean for how I act, how I behave in the face of those things that sustain life? Not my life, but sustain life. Mm-hmm. And so, so this is, again, just one example of, of what I, when I say the poverty of where we are, that's some of what I'm speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, almost anything is a doorway in. You know, I can, mm-hmm. I can, I can basically fall to the floor with grief just going into a grocery store if I, if I really mm-hmm. let it, let it in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, um, the 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 amount, the how, where the food came from and wh- how it's packaged, and it, it's mm-hmm. all, all of it is is visible all around us. So, mm-hmm. so the second part, saying if we, if we want to find our way into any kind of belonging we have to start from the poverty of where we are Mm -hmm. once you see it it's it's Mm gut-wrenching it's it can be overwhelming it's it's seismic yeah to, to really see and and if you see it and really stay with it your life can't go on unchanged Mm-hmm. But the impulse upon seeing it is to get out from under it as fast as possible. Okay, how do we fix this? How do we make it better? How do we have it not be how it is? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a very experienced practitioner of that. Mm-hmm. I love to fix things. I love <laughs> to run at problems with solutions and not stay with them. So I, I'm not at all outside of this. But, but if we have any hope at all of not just re-perpetuating this cycle over and over and over. Mm-hmm. There's something, it's, it, it seems that there's some importance to sitting with it, to really seeing it, to being as troubled by it as we would be if we really saw it, grieving, and taking the time to learn how it came to be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then maybe we can move somewhere from there that that might be different. But there's no going back. It's not about 
you know, that's the other impulse. Like, okay, uh-huh. maybe we just go back to a time before all this madness happened and everything <laughs> will be okay. I sure, uh-huh. sure, I sure have had those fantasies. But, <laughs> but it's, it's really demanding that we, this is the ground upon which we take the next step. Uh-huh. If we are going to build anything, it's on this ground. It's not on some pristine, untouched, imaginary ground. It's here. And so if we're going to build anything here, if we're going to live here, we better learn where we are. And that's what that statement was about. You shared a a quote by Stephen Jenkinson with me that really resonates with this, where he says, the measure and mark and maker of human freedom is the capacity to respond differently to circumstances utterly unchanged. It seems that that quote speaks to what you say when, you know, we can't go back. It's we literally are going to be moving together um, in this circumstance that's utterly unchanged. And this is where we where we stand. And like just as the um, the description of the show, you know, this standing at this edge and this is the place where um you know, we need to come to. And, you know, going back to bio, Bio's statement about it requiring, a, you know, it's a slowing down. And um, can you speak to that? We have a couple minutes before our next break about, um, so you say, you know, learning the languages of a place and beginning to see the unseeable and the story that reaches beyond our view requires that we slow down. And it sounds so simple, but I think it's particularly profound. Yeah, it's it's very hard to act differently. That that quote about responding differently to a circumstance unchanged, it sounds so simple, but it's so much easier to respond habitually. And so in order the the only possibility for something new emerging i think is if we move slowly enough and intentionally enough that that we're not just rushing forward with what we know but we're rushing forward with everything we know and everything we don't that we're carrying both of that those things Mm-hmm. And that we're really doing the work to speak and see differently, to open up space, to move forward in some way that's not just what we're used to. It just requires a lot of intention and a lot of work. And it requires other people. We really, really can't do this alone. Because being in this culture sometimes is like standing in the middle, music is showing up again, standing in the middle of an orchestra that's playing one song and trying to just catch the very edges of one single violin playing in the balcony (laughs) in terms of trying to do something differently. That there Uh are things that are out there that, that we might do differently but it's so hard to hold it and it's so hard to hear so we have to slow down and we need other people 
This is a team <laughs> project. <laughs> it's going to take it's going to take everybody, I think. Annie, it's time to take a short break. And before we go, I'd love to share another excerpt from uh, your essay, Limitations Feast, where you say that life is asking something of us, something that looks like a willingness to find our way back to Limitations Feasting Hall, even in the absence of adequate maps. Luckily, it was never maps that were going to lead us home. The map is not the territory. And the task before us together is to start learning the many languages spoken by the terrain. These words are from my guest today and host of Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio's Precipice series that is beginning today, launching today with Annie Levin. You can find out more about the Precipice series at emergencenetwork.org and experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. And you can follow Annie Levin on Facebook and we will be right back with Annie Levin. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com Listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is a clinician of mind body medicine, lifestyle change, and self healing. She is a life mentor, author, and publisher of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. You can reach Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. My ability to enter the big story is hampered by eyes untrained in seeing the specific, feel an feet unaccustomed to staying in a place long enough to learn its language and hands unpracticed at rituals through which to remember the human place in life's tapestry. This is from Annie Levin's powerful essay entitled Limitations Feast. Annie, can you speak to the big story as you mentioned in your essay? And I wonder how we are to enter into it, even though, as you name for us all, that we are currently seeing with untrained eyes and we have feet unaccustomed to staying in place long enough to learn its language and that our collective hands are unpracticed at rituals necessary to remember the human place in the life's tapestry, as you say. That, that statement was one of 
confession and of mourning. Mm. I can describe I I can't necessarily talk about the big story. I can talk about my understanding of what it might be to have those eyes <laughs> that mm-hmm. are yes, <laughs> right trained in that way, but <laughs> it's it's this is part of what makes all of this so difficult and mm-hmm. and is is that we're inside of this thing trying mm-hmm. to figure out some way to move differently when the only training that we've had is from within it mm-hmm. and and there one answer is to go running around looking for other cultures answers for mm-hmm. how to do those things mm-hmm. um, but again, coming back to starting from where we are, if if those aren't my practices, if they're not the practices of my people or my lineage, then it might be that there's something else that, that needs to happen. And I don't entirely know how to describe what that is. But mm-hmm. but I suppose what what I've come to know so far what I have come to be able to see up to this point is is that there there are ways of living in the world still where being tethered into a larger story isn't a metaphor. It's not a concept. It's, it's life mm-hmm. that, that the air we breathe and the water we drink and the food that we eat and the people surrounding us and the ancestors who came before us and those t- to come after us, that none of them are concepts mm-hmm. that, um, and that life being tethered to all of those things is is real and experienced and felt and and i suppose what i so far have tried to do is first to be able to see this, to see how it it is in other places and and maybe was for some of my people at some point, and to see how it is now and to feel incredible grief. And starting from where I am to see if there's anything that I can do to begin to have my life be lived in some kind of relationship to what sustains me. And it's clumsy (laughs) and it's heartfelt and it's not 
just intention, it's action. And I suppose the, the most concrete example I can give now is that I began studying herbalism this past year uh-huh. with, a, with a practitioner with 30 years of experience. And, and largely this was in response to realizing that I, I live steps away from a 500-acre park. Mm-hmm. And I spend a lot of time in that park. And I could walk into that park and have no idea who lives there. Mm-hmm. That there are thousands of plants and trees and birds and all manner of life. And it all was just green and brown stuff, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, it, mm-hmm. and, it, and that I could move through the world with that being backdrop. Mm. That, that not alive and and wanting to have start learning with my hands and with my eyes to be in relationship to all of that life there as though it is life not as though it's pretty stuff that makes me feel better after a hard day in the city mm. but that it's alive and and being able to walk through and recognize these plants and know them and watch their life cycle and see them in the spring and see them in the summer and see them in the fall and go to the place where they lived in the winter where they're no longer there and and hope and and petition that they might come back again in the spring knowing that that's not a given to to have that the beginnings of that kind of capacity and that kind of relationship and and that kind of dedication frankly because it it it's so much easier to just slip back into not doing that and there's Uh periods of time where I don't go to the park for a week or two or three and I I'm not I'm not caring for those I'm not caring for that life there and I'm not Uh I'm not treating I'm not treating it as though it's alive and and that's been my first tentative steps towards knowing the place where I live and being in relationship in a way that is different than the ways that I learned as mm-hmm. I was growing up. But it's not an answer of how to do this. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think trying to, to make that into a solution is again to get into that space of how do we fix it, mm-hmm. right? And so I, and I do that, I, you know, okay, I'm going to learn this and then, then it's going to be better. And I'm, I'm trying to, to hold that a little more gently and do that learning, but not with the intention that it undo anything. Mm-hmm. Annie, you share a quote, another quote by Stephen Jenkinson, where he says, in a troubled time, the willingness to proceed like you're needed is a radical act. And I wonder if you could relate this a bit to your, maybe your vision of the Precipice series or, um, you know, to your work around this in the coming weeks and months. Sure. This is certainly one attempt on my part to answer that call. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, 
as when, awkward and uncomfortable as it is. <laughs> yes. Uh, when this first was suggested, uh, a large portion of my response was, no, absolutely not. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to go hide in the corner. But I think, but there was another voice there too. That was not the only voice. And mm-hmm. the more insistent voice said, well, maybe this is needed. And maybe it's not. But proceeding as though you're needed is is to move forward and be bold and and step forward to to step into the fray and and to to do so without needing an invitation, which I suppose I didn't quite do this time. There was an invitation, but but that if we're waiting around for an invitation. And we're, or we're waiting around for someone to tell us that we're doing it right, that, that lots of things that need doing aren't going to get done. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's beginning to, to look around and ask what's needed without anyone having to tell us and to then behave accordingly. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a variety of, I think, coming into adulthood, mm-hmm. which which I'm sheepishly can say in my 30s took me this long in many (laughs) respects to Mm. claim. Mm. And, and I, and I suppose that is one of the, the aspirations for precipice is that it be calling forth different people to be needed in this particular way, mm-hmm. to, ser- to serve in this particular way, whether or not we ever find out that it was meaningful. Mm-hmm. But, but I have a sense that these conversations and need to happen or that there's something asking to happen, and that's... That's what this is about. And, and as far as a little more about the vision for Precipice, mm-hmm. um, John Michael Greer writes, you don't actually know a time or culture until you discover the thoughts that people can't allow themselves to think. Mm. And, and it occurs to me that if, if we want to figure out, to know what those thoughts are. If we're going to invite unthinkable thoughts, then we probably need to make a space for them. That there's not a lot of space for unthinkable thoughts if we know exactly what we're doing and we blaze forward with that. And so my hope is that the folks who are invited onto Precipice, that, that they'll come in with everything they know. This is not to negate knowledge or expertise or preparation or practice those things are important they're necessary but mm-hmm. they're not they're not sufficient and and so there's some there's something around it, it's almost like improvisation mm-hmm. where you have to prepare so that you're ready and willing to step beyond what you've already practiced and know how to do and so my hope is that the show may at times be exploring what that preparation looks like. It may at times be practicing, spending time 
in that discomfort on that edge, stepping beyond what's comfortable. At times, it may be asking someone who has some really deep experience in these arenas to employ what all that preparation has prepared them for and in service of of being able to speak to or see something that maybe others haven't yet spoken to or seen. And, yeah. I just need to close out our show, Annie, but I'm so excited um, for the Precipice series that um, for all of our listeners that will be brought to you every third Thursday of the month in the coming year ahead. And I just want to thank you so much, Annie, and the Enneagram, sorry, that's the Enneagrams next week, the Emergence Network for being with us today on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio and for stepping into this, the call of the Precipice series so that we may all wonder out loud with you as we embark on this consequential expedition with you at this table that you are bringing together. It sure is an honor to have you here with us, Annie, and I'm very excited to hold the space for this series to unfold over the weeks and months ahead. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rochelle. Next week, we will have Susan Olesic joining us again for the second episode of Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio's Nine Prisons, One Key series, where we will be exploring the Enneagram Type 8, the Protector Challenger. The Nine Prisons, One Key series will gather every fourth Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Pacific Standard Time. So mark your calendars for this amazing expedition, because as Enneagram Prison Project founder and human potentialist Susan Olesic says, we are all in a prison of our own making in the way that we suffer our personalities and in bearing witness to the courageous inner work taking place in unlikely place that is a jail or prison, Susan has become downright convinced that the benefit of self-understanding and awareness through the lens of the Enneagram is a critical missing piece for real criminal criminal reform. Susan says that self-knowing is sacred wisdom and it's sacred work to bring this to as many who can tolerate it, who want it, and who can truly benefit from it. In the meantime, you can join us on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio's Facebook page, follow our Twitter feed at Revolution Well, and connect with us on our website at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. It's such a pleasure to be here with you all on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Until next time, I'm Rochelle McLaughlin. May you be well, and may we all be well. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to a new way of being, to greater degrees of self-compassion and wellness, and your experience of your own infinite potential with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join host Rochelle next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to turn courageously toward your own unique experience of health and wellness here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, you too can experience revolutionary wellness.